If you've got Bibles here today, you can open them to Luke chapter 22. And uh, it's no coincidence as we head towards Easter that um, we have an Easter, close to Easter themes message. And it's about, and it's around the passage that we're going to read is around Judas. And um, I've titled this, and I'm not sure what I've titled it, to be honest, but I changed my title three or four times, but the last one that I saved was called The Inside Job. And the reason is, is from inside Jesus' close circle and inside a man's greed, we see certain things take place that led to Jesus dying on the cross. I'm going to pray. I just want to shout out a few things like, I know how big an effort it was for Plum to, uh, to get up there and deliver a brilliant communion message. So I know that takes guts and, and a whole heap of stuff. Um, another thing is very shortly we'll be starting a formal kids church program. And I believe we've even got a, do we have a slide? No, or is it just a, an announcement? Just an announcement. So we're about to start kids church um, after the school holidays, where in the back hall, the kids that are primary school age are going to go out with a couple of leaders and actually have a kids' church curriculum so that we can best sow into the lives of young people. Um, but what we need around that is people who are interested um, and have, um, who are like, I, I could help out in that. Um, Kim's going to oversee the program, but Kim's not going to be in there every week because I think that's unfair if, if someone... So what we want is enough people to go, hey, I could do that semi-regularly or I could do that sometimes. And I think it's important that we have both those things because people with a real heart and passion for, for kids might be willing to do it once a month, but there's plenty of people who go, you know what, I probably can't do it. I, I don't have a massive passion, but I want to help out so that we're not going to wear people out. So if you're interested, please see either Kim. Stand up for a second, Kim. Or myself, um, and Kim's going to organise in the next couple of weeks a bit of a, a training gathering where she's going to run through curriculum and how it's going to work. Um, and if you haven't yet done working with Children's Check, you'll need to talk to Penny about getting that done. And also if you haven't done um, the training, Safe Places training, you can actually do it online now. It, it, ideally we do it in um, face-to-face, but if we need to get it done, we can do it online. So please see um, yeah, Kim or myself around that or Penny around working with children, check stuff. All right, Luke 22. I'm reading from the NIV this morning. I'm not sure what's up on screen, but if it's a bit different, I'm not crazy. I'm just reading a different translation. Now the fest I am crazy. Now the festival of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus. For they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve, and Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. Strange conversation to have, hey? They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them where no crowd was present. Then came the day of unleavened bread in which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, 
The teacher asked, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Isn't that crazy? I wish booking a venue was like that today. (laughs) He will show you a large upstairs room, all furnished, make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. Just remember that. He left and they left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The son of man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. Lord, as we unpack just briefly this passage of Scripture, as our minds and hearts start focusing around Christmas, oh, Easter, (laughs) Lord, be with us, help us, and, and let us understand what you want us to understand in this passage of Scripture. Amen. You know you're going well when your pastor gets Christmas and Easter mixed up. It's interesting, right? We're a selfie generation, okay? Now, 20 years ago, if someone would have said, we're about selfies, then you wouldn't even know what they're talking about. Jack here, who's a good friend of mine, who's really excited that I just mentioned him. We were down at Blue Pool, Rock Pool, Bermagui, and he wanted a selfie there, right? And um, everyone loves selfies. Jack was telling me that one time he was, you know when you're at a tourist attraction and other people ask you to take a photo of themselves? Jack didn't. He just took a photo of himself and they didn't have it on their camera. Um, but the generation, you know, the younger generation than myself, but a few people here as well, it's, it's like this thing, this addiction to taking a, sel- a photo of yourself in a certain place. You know, my kids, they're, what, eight, six, four, and one, and all of them are taking multiple selfies. You you get your phone back, and even, like, the younger ones, like, just got hundreds of selfies, like, on the camera. and, And it's interesting, like, what's this thing about selfies? Why are they so popular? Why are they so interesting? And ultimately, maybe it highlights the human condition that each and every one of us has a certain level of focus that's self-centred, where we don't want to so much focus on the other lens of the camera that focuses and looks out, but rather wants to focus and look inward. It's kind of like the inside job. For many of us, you know, if we were an iPhone app, I wonder if the default setting would be the internal camera looking to self rather than the external camera looking out. And perhaps that's 
generally one of our problems as humans in life is that we're self-focused. We make everything that's meant to be about something else actually about ourselves. If you think about it, and I've said it, you've said it, we've all said it, how many times have you gone to worship and gone, I didn't feel God's presence today? That's not what worship's about. That's a great benefit. But worship is about declaring, God, you are amazing. But as we do that, we, we get this reward of feeling His presence. But worship's not about us feeling His presence. But what happens is sometimes we're selfie, self-focused on what we get out of worship. What about church? Church should be a gathering of people where we come filled with all that God's done to encourage one another with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, if that's what the Bible says about the gathering of the people. Yet often, most of us are like, oh, that message by that pastor wasn't that good, didn't feed me. Not, you don't say that here, hopefully. <laughs> or, or the programs they have, or I just don't feel connected in that because we flip it and we make it all about self. Offerings the same. Oh, I don't want to give my money to the church, but, but, but we say that God, everything's God's, but not my paycheck. Same as salvation. We make it all about our focus, our efforts, our works, when it's actually nothing we can do. It's everything that He's done on the cross for us. Amen. Now, the background to Luke 22 Here's kind of what's happening. One of the three required festivals or feasts that would happen in Jerusalem every year where all the males throughout Israel were required to attend was the Passover. I'm not being sexist. I'm just telling you what was, how it was in the context of that time. This idea of Passover is that God's people were suffering slavery at the hands of the Egyptians and God delivered them miraculously and perfectly and lovingly from that. And as God's judgment came down upon all the firstborns of Egypt, God's people were spared. They weren't innocent. They, like everyone else, deserved death. They were sinners, but they were spared through the death of a lamb. They would kill a lamb. Most of us know the story, and they'd wipe the blood over the entry of the house, and the blood would be the thing that saved them from death because God's mercy ultimately saved them because of the blood sacrifice. And so in that Passover, we see this picture of Jesus, the lamb whose blood is slain for us because we're not perfect and rightfully we deserve death. But because of the blood of the lamb, we too receive Passover. We receive God's mercy. And so they're gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, to remember what God has done for them. And at this time, Jesus is starting to draw some enormous crowds. Like, he's the equivalent of a rock star. He's like the famous guy. People want to see him. There's an attractional element where if they had iPhones, they'd want a selfie with Jesus. He's popular with the people because he's teaching them like they've never been taught before. And he loves them in a way that they've never been loved before. And he has compassion in a way that they've never seen that compassion. And the religious leaders... They're beginning to lose the war of words with Jesus. And, and the thing for the religious leaders, they were all about how smart and full of knowledge they were and they could sort of talk their way out of a wet paper bag. But they were just like they just could stump people with big words. And all of a sudden, they're starting to look dumb. No one likes to look dumb. <laughs> Every chapter of Luke 
we see Jesus engaging with um, the Pharisees, like these religious uh, people, um, in a new debate, a new discussion, and, and they pump him and attack him with all these questions, trying to stump him, yet he returns fire with a whole series of questions and, and he just, he wins. He just wins every argument and they walk away embarrassed and they walk away silent. And so the flow and effect of that is people are naturally leaving these religious establishments and they're following Jesus. And for these religious guys, that's a problem because they're religious practitioners. That's how they make their living. That's where they see their identity. That's where everything that they're building their life about is starting to go, oh, oh. And so it's not cool for them. These leaders are losing influence, they're losing money and they've come to a point where they've decided they've got to do something about this. It's, it's like the scandal of all scandals, they're going to kill Jesus. And they're, they're smart, they're not dumb, they're smart. They're thinking if we go after Jesus in the midst of the crowd where he's popular, where people love him, you know, the crowd might turn on them. It's not going to be good for business if we, you know, if we just do it so publicly and so openly and without thinking it through and without having a thing because we want these people to stop following Jesus and come back to our institutions. And so they're planning it. And what they needed was they needed an insider. This had to be an inside job. And they had to find a guy who'd be willing through self-focus to commit to a plan to buy into the scandal and they find a guy named Judas, Judas Iscariot. So we're going to look through this passage and as we look through it, I'm going to give you the cheat sheet before I go. I've got four points and I'm going to read them out. So if you're taking notes and you write them down early, if you're full asleep, at least you've got them and you can pretend that you listened. And they're these. Number one, Jesus' plan is greater than our plan. It's true. Number two, Jesus' promise is greater than our promises. Or our promise. Don't worry about the S if you don't want. Number three, Jesus' love is greater than our love. And number four, Jesus' pursuit is greater than our pursuit. And I'm going to duck straight into point one. His plan, Jesus' plan, is greater than our plan. Greater than your plan, greater than my plan, greater than anyone's plan. And so we'll read that first part again. It says, Now the festival unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching and the chief priests, these religious practitioners and the teachers of the law, were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus. See, I didn't make that up. It's here. And it says, Because they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betrayed Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. If we're going to do this, we've got to do this smart. We've got to do it secretly. We can't have the op- option of the crowd turning and, and fighting for Jesus. And so, so this is the problem we see with Jesus. And you're going, what? What problem do we see? This is the problem we see with Jesus over and over again in the Bible. And it's the same problem we see with Jesus over and over again in our life. We've all got this plan for Jesus. Everyone has an expectation of what they want Jesus to focus on or what to do, right? We all just want to have our plan, add Jesus to that and be like, thank you, Jesus, for being part of my plan. 
But the truth is that that's not necessarily the plan according to Jesus. One of the points that Luke makes through the rest of this gospel story and, and, and around the, his coming, um, Jesus' death and resurrection, is that Jesus is in control. And so you get to the Easter story and you look at it and you almost think you can be fooled for a minute to think, oh, hang on, this isn't going to plan because one of Jesus' like key team members betray him. You know, a guy who he wants to build the New Testament church is denying him. Like every leadership book would look at that, would analyse that and go, oh, it's just not going perfectly to plan. A bit like when you're iPad turns off. All good. The truth is Jesus is in charge and nothing is happening in this story that surprises Jesus. And the truth is in your life and in my life, nothing is taking him by surprise. An interesting train of thought or thinking around Judas that's maybe a little bit different to what you and I have previously heard or thought before um, is one that I just want to quickly lean into this morning. And yes, there's no doubt. And the truth is that he loved money. And we know that he's filling his pockets as this dodgy ministry treasurer. And this character flaw is what led him to actually stay with Jesus. Because because I start to think that maybe he's thinking, Jesus is always talking about that the kingdom of God is coming, right? That we're going to have this new kingdom and there's going to be, Jesus is going to be king. And it'd be quite good if you're a dodgy treasurer to ride shotgun to the king because the king and the kingdom and there's money and there's power. And it's like, well, why why would I jump ship and do something else when Jesus is going to be the king? And I can be, you know, it's there's a fair bit of gain that Judas might get from being a dodgy treasurer to the king with a kingdom full of wealth. And some would say that he's a little bit like Peter in personality, that he was one of the guys who was wanting things to happen now, not, not wait for something to happen eventually. He's wanting the kingdom to come now. He's wanting a revolution. He's wanting a fight. He's wanting a war. And perhaps he's thinking that at the right time, backed into a corner, Jesus would call down angels and defeat the Romans and reign as king here on earth. And he can ride shotgun, treasurer to the king, wealth, all the wealth he could think of. So even though Jesus was teaching differently, in Judas' mind, he was hearing his own plans and his own focus, and he was adding Jesus to that. He missed the truth about God's kingdom because he had an internal, a selfie-type focus, not an external one. Some say that in him betraying Jesus, he was trying to force Jesus' hands to make this happen. Not one day, not eventually, not one day the kingdom will come, but today, but now. And it kind of makes a lot of sense. He leads the Romans to Jesus in the garden. He's perhaps expecting, here we go, smackdown time. Jesus is going to call fire down from heaven on these guards. This is going to be awesome. This is going to be the start of Jesus' reign and rule as the king of this kingdom here on earth. And then what happens is, because we can get so into our plan and our purpose and adding Jesus into the plan that we want to add him to. And then in the garden, Jesus hands himself to the Romans. And maybe that's why we see Judas all of a sudden devastated. Oh, crap. I promised I wasn't going to say crap this year in church. Sorry, Kezia. Justice, everyone. 
Judas is devastated. Oh no. Maybe this plan he had wasn't going to come to fruition. And so he's devastated and, and we know that because he goes back to the guys, you know, and whether that's guilty or whether that's because his plan's not working, he's pleading for Jesus to be set free and he's, he's giving them the money. I don't want this. This was not how my plan was meant to go. And there's a lesson for us in that. When we focus our eyes on anything other than Jesus and his plan, it's usually not going to end well. And a question that like, has been on my heart around this passage of Scripture is, what, are, what am I trying to force Jesus' hand at today? And that's a question for you too. By our own plan, what are we trying to force Jesus' hand in? So what, ultimately, what's your plan for Jesus? You know, it's time we refocus from our plan, from our selfie plan, externally to his. You know, maybe you're here today and you're hurting because your plan hasn't worked out. Do you know, the truth is it's going to keep hurting until you refocus. Ten years ago, Kez and I had a plan. Kez and I were going to plant a church in Naruma. Some know that, some don't know that. We're going to take over the South Coast. And I'll be honest, part of me has always just like, because I'm stubborn. So part of me was like, oh, what are you doing, God? You're sending us out to Leeton. Oh, what are you doing, God? You're sending us, you know, to Bega. Like, and there's always just that little bit of that, you know, we haven't quite fully let go of our plan yet. Just last Sunday, Kez and I were standing there supporting Chris and Prudence as they, the absolute fully right people for Naruma, are planning this church. And we can just sit there and support them. And all of a sudden you go, hang on. There's just something amazing in following God's plans. And not only do we see when we do follow His plans, all those desires of our plans come to fruition, but it's not exactly how we thought it would happen, but it does come and it does happen. I don't know what you're coming from today. I don't know what your plan was for your life, but there's some people who would be hurting terribly because you look at your life and you go, it just hasn't gone to my plan. Somewhere the script got changed. And there's great news today, not just good news, great news today, because God has a plan and his plan is a good plan and his plan is greater than our plan. In God's plan, we see in today's passage, like the arch enemy, Satan, takes his best shot at derailing the plan. Satan's currently infiltrating the inner circle of Jesus. Yeah, he's wiggled his way into the key team of Jesus' plan and ministry and disciples, the guys who is going to entrust the gospel to save the whole world. And the truth is that God doesn't do evil. He can't do evil. But he can use evil for good. And God's got a plan. And even though sometimes we think this world's evil, this is crazy and, and things are going to come against us that are evil, just know that our God is so big that he doesn't do evil, but he uses that evil to fulfil his plan on the earth. His plan is greater than our plan. The second point is his promise is greater than our promise. I've got some bad news and good news. The bad news is that our word, our promises that we make are not that reliable. 
If you hang around long enough, I'll let you down. The things that I say I won't do and you'll let me down because the things you'll say you won't do. That's just like, if, if we have that as a guarantee, we won't get offended with each other, you know. If we say, yeah, let's meet here at seven and if we're there at two past seven, we've let each other down because we said we're going to do something and we didn't. So at some point, our word will fail one another. The good news is Jesus' word is more reliable than our word. His words, his promises will not fail. Verse 7 of this passage today, it says, they came, Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare it? They ask. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. Verse 13, They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. Another translation would say, Jesus' promise and every detail of the words that he spoke were reliable and came true. It's the Jacob Standard Translation. You can buy it at all leading bookstores. But I want to focus on that phrase just for a moment. Jesus says something that's prophetic or predictive or however you want to pen it, but he's actually laid out a plan and a purpose for what's happening next. And the truth is, Jesus is always speaking. So today there's people who are going to get words from God about how to go forward in their marriage, in relationships, in jobs, in all sorts of things. And the truth is we hear Jesus and then we go, are you sure, Jesus? But over and over again, as we study Scripture, as we look at the life of Jesus, we find out it's just as Jesus has told us. Just similar to this one's the one where before Palm Sunday, Jesus needs a way to travel and he goes, there's a donkey over there in some guy's backyard and if you go and do this and that. And just as Jesus had said, so it happens. You know, and it's the absolute opposite. Jesus' words being absolutely reliable is the absolute opposite to the way the disciples deal with their words because they're saying crazy things all the time. They're making crazy commitments to Jesus all the time and they're rarely following up on those commitments. You know, I'll follow you always. You know, you, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, Jesus has died, let's run away. But we do the same thing. You know, how many times have you been in a really, really crazy, tough, struggling situation, maybe an emergency, and you go, Jesus, if you get me out of this, I'll never miss a Sunday in church and I'll pray to you all the time and I'll read my Bible every day. And then you forget to read your Bible the next day because our words aren't as reliable as his words. You know, Peter himself will soon say during this Last Supper, Lord, I will never leave you. I'll be by your side. I'll go to jail with you. If need be, I'll die with you. Jesus lets him know. You're going to betray me, mate, before the sun rises. <laughs> like, your word's not, not even good for 24 hours here. And sure enough, confronted by a young teenage girl at a, at a campfire, Peter gives in and denies Jesus. But every time Jesus speaks, it's true. And that's great news for us. And that's really good news because my word isn't reliable. Your word, despite all of our best intentions, is not as reliable as we'd like. There's no guarantees, but a sure thing 
is his word. Focus on Jesus' words of promise to you because his promise is greater than our promise. Do you know, I nearly lost my faith and one of my best mates because I wrongly thought his words were good and reliable and that he would never break it. But offence and hurt is absolutely my choice in those situations and I shouldn't have put the expectation on his words. That's unfair. And in our faith journey in relationship with Jesus, we make commitments, we make vows, pledges, and we do our best. But they're not as good as his words. They're not as reliable as his words. And it's his words that sustain us. It's the reliability of Jesus that keeps us going in this faith walk. It's Jesus being true and dependable and without flaw, without error, without fail, that keeps us in his good graces and in his love. His promises are greater than ours. You know, yes, our prayer connects us into relationship with him, but it's not our words that keep us in relationship and faith. It's his words and it's his actions. Third point, Jesus' love is greater than ours. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfilment in the kingdom of God. Now, when I say in the original language of the Bible, I don't speak any of those original languages. I can't translate them, but I can read what other people who can do. And they say that Jesus likely spoke in Aramaic and the Bible was written in um, Koine Greek, however you say that, an ancient Greek language. And the phrase that's translated, earnestly desire, is the same word twice. And that means Jesus was like emotionally charged. There was a passion there. Like if you say a word twice, like if I go, Jack, Jack, the second time there's more, like there's more passion, there's more, and there's, you really want to emphasise a point. You really want to highlight something. If your kid's running out onto the road, you go, stop, stop. In that, in that second, in that repetition, there's, there's some real passion and there's some real drive and power. And so Jesus, in this moment, in this passage where he's speaking to his disciples, there's a greater weight associated to what he's saying. He's passionate here. He's having one of those big time come to the altar type moments with his disciples. And why is Jesus so passionate here in this moment? I reckon he's fully aware of what he's about to do, that he's going to go and redeem the world, but in more particular for this moment, his disciples, that their relationship will forever be changed because he's going to go to the cross and he's going to die for their sin and he's going to become their sin so they might have the righteousness of God and they're going to have this new relationship with God that was not even possible. And so he's excited for them. He's passionate about this and he's just, so he's saying, I earnestly, like, get around this. And he's just got this love and this passion that he just wants them to get it and understand. And like we see how strong his love is that he would endure the cross. He'd lay down his life, his disciples, and he does that for us. And you know what? He knows that his disciples are going to flee. He knows that his disciples are going to question. He knows that one of his disciples is going to betray him. He knows that one of his key leaders is going to deny him. Yet his love is so great that he's willing to put up with all that and still do it. You know, and we see that he followed through on the cross for me, for you, for all of us, because his love is greater than our love. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again 
From the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, a side note, and it's not in my notes and you get this for free this morning, is as I read that this morning where it says, after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, etc., etc. He says, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Do you know, I've got the picture of our Jesus so passionately in love with us, so passionately uh, championing us on in our corner, like just cheering for us, rooting for us, that he's ultimately fasting from that until he comes again because he's so keen and connected and wanting us just to go well in, in loving others and making disciples. That's, yeah, that's just something that God spoke to me this morning. Verse 19, and he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant of my blood, which is poured out for you. And then the passage finishes with this. Verse 21 to 23. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The son of man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. Do I want to close with this point? And so music team, if you want to come up and get ready and perhaps do that first song we did, that would be fantastic. You know, his pursuit is greater than ours. See, Jesus knew Judas would betray him. He knew Peter would deny him. He knew that they'd all, to varying degrees, fall away and scatter to various things back to the old way of life, but he still pursued them. He still eagerly desired to eat this meal with them, to commune with them. And and we need to understand it's not our, our faith journey is not us chasing and chasing and chasing after God. It's absolutely God chasing and chasing and chasing and pursuing after us, you know, despite the fact that we might betray Him by focusing on ourselves rather than on Him. His pursuit is greater than our pursuit. So we might live our lives and get distracted by our own selfie, our own pursuit, our own plan. But the truth is, the reason we all end up keep coming back to Him and His plan is because He's pursuing us and His pursuit is greater than our pursuit. And so when we understand that, when we understand that Jesus' pursuit is greater than our pursuit, we can go backwards in those points and understand that His love is greater than our love. So when we understand that He's pursuing us and eagerly wanting to commune with us, despite the fact that we're going our own pursuit, our own way, we start to understand that His love is greater than our love. And as we understand and dwell in His love, we can actually find out that His promise is greater than our promise. And as we start to see His promise at work never failing us, then all of a sudden we'll understand that His plan is great. And it's so much greater than our plan. So can I encourage us this morning, focus on Jesus, not on ourselves. No more self-focus. Focus on Jesus. He's pursuing us right now. He's eagerly desiring connection with us right now. So I want us to stand and just to sing. And as we sing, I want you to know that His plan is greater than our plan. His promise is better than our promise. His love is greater than our love and His 
pursuit of us is greater than our pursuit of anything else in this world. Let's sing this song and then John will close in prayer.